0: This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows.
1: This week, Planet of the Apes, episodes one and two. Those were apes, weren't they? What kind of planet is this? Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast about Damn Dirty Apes. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan?
0: Do they say Damn Dirty Apes in this? Not so far, but I'm hoping. You know, I have to say, I wasn't sure what to think about this show, and obviously we have a, a little ways to go for a lot of episodes, but based on this time period and the kind of content it was based on other shows we've watched around this time, I think this is much better.
1: Well, we can get into it, but uh, I think I'm going to agree.
0: Yeah, because if you compare this to, what what else do we see around this time period? Well,
1: Planet Earth is six months before this.
0: And Planet Earth is way worse than this.
1: Oh, it's it's unbelievable. Because we'd watched a few 70s TV movies, yeah. things that didn't work, and I had in my head gotten. Just gotten used to it's like, oh, this is just the quality of writing back then.
0: That's exactly my thought. It's almost a somewhat uneducated view of just going, I've seen a few things from the seventies. They're just badly written. It's like, well, no, no, they don't have to be. They don't have to be bad. Like all of your world building doesn't have to be done through the radio. (laughs) You know?
1: Someone doesn't have to call into a radio show. Exactly. All right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about this. So we're watching Planet of the Apes, 1974. Ran from September 13th to December 20th.
0: And now, which which show did this replace? Was this Planet Earth? I can't remember. I,
1: for some reason, I thought we had thought it was the one before it, Genesis, Genesis two, two, but it must have been Planet Earth because they're they're like it was out in March of twenty of seventy four, and this came out in September. So they must have been.
0: Either way, this boned Roddenberry in one way or another.
1: It did. I mean, considering the difference in quality, mm-hmm. yeah, deserved deservedly yeah. so.
0: What, did you know anything about? Like, what do you know? about Planet of the Apes in general. We'd had a conversation, I think it was last week, you and I were talking uh, off the air and- uh, Imagine what you're not hearing. I know, the, the excitement. We're still just having this conversation. This conversation. It's, just, <laughs> it's just like this, but without microphones. But I feel a little silly because I didn't realize how big Planet of the Apes is, or was, I mean, obviously there's been a whole whack of movies and I just thought it was one of those things where it's a property that was available so people keep using it, but from the little research I've done so far, there's a very strong fan base and there's been a very strong fan base for a long time. And it's a world that I initially wouldn't have thought lent itself to so much and just such a large, like so many, it's, it seems like a one note joke. Yeah, exactly. That's That's a good way of saying it. It just seems like, yeah, it's a imagine if monkeys ruled, but it's apparently much more deep than that.
1: Certainly going on, uh, like what. I think there's six or seven original movies. Uh, they did the remake. Then they've done these new three. This mm-hmm. new three trilogy. The remake with Marky Mark. Um, what, did what, did, what the, did the
0: Funky Punch come out for that? One of those? Yeah, they were all monkeys. Though.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh Which what of those movies have you seen?
0: I've seen any of them. You've never seen any of them. Not, Not even I've, the Heston one. I have seen part. Well, you know what it was? It's one of those things where it's so uh, just part of the cultural zeitgeist, I guess you would call it. Um, where you know, you just know about it. I know the ending, and it has the Statue of Liberty, and what did you do, you apes, or whatever he says. And uh, so I've seen pieces of it, but I've never actually sat and watched them, which is maybe embarrassing. Maybe I should have have seen them all. How, how many have you seen? Well,
1: I've seen the Heston one for sure. I've seen the Marky Mark, uh, Edward Scissorhands, the director, what's his name? Tim Burton. Tim Burton remake. Yeah. I've seen, and I've seen Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the first one, and the second one, which I'm not going to run the title of. Oh, well,
0: you've seen a lot more than me. And
1: I will at some point watch War. For the Planet of the Apes, the last the last new one. But
0: how happy were you when they kept saying Doctor Zayas? Didn't it make you remind you of the Simpsons musical, The Planet oh, of the of Apes course. musical? I kept saying Doctor Zayas. Yeah, exactly. Zaius. Except he's Councilman Zayas now. Is that what he is? Counselor's. I thought they did say he was a doctor. I think they
1: mentioned he is a doctor, but I believe because this isn't continuity wise related to the original movie, I think he's he's rose amongst Ape Society and he's now counselor on the High Council. Oh, so
0: we'll have to talk about that because I wasn't sure what the continuity is, because they do mention previous people having been on the planet
1: yeah i mean let's let's keep going we'll, okay. we'll kind of get into it as we go obviously neither of us really knew anything about this series
0: coffee is gonna be so irritated at us when he listens to this
1: i mean that's gonna be our guest next week he's a bit of a planet of the apes historian he's gonna be our expert who comes on anyway. yeah i,
0: I think he's gonna be really irritated listening to us fumble our way through this
1: well on the plus side uh, he probably won't listen <laughs> <laughs> that's true Um, I'm going to give, as I like to do, a little world history before we uh, go into the show. It's kind of what was happening. while Planet of the Apes was on. Mm -hmm. October 30th, 1974. The Rumble in the Jungle.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Ali fought Foreman. And then this is a fun one, kind of science-y, science fiction-y. November 16th, there was this broadcast called the, I'm not sure. We'll see if you've heard of this. The uh, Arcebo Message was broadcast. It's a radio broadcast out to uh, a great globular star cluster in the Hercules system and it sort of was full of like information about humans
0: oh right and they have I think there's uh I'm correct me if I'm wrong the piece of music that it plays is Johann Sebastian Bach played by Glenn Gould
1: oh I don't know maybe I I I want to look that up from what I read it was mostly binary information about earth and humanity oh and here's here's the point that I thought was the most fun about it though the message is expected to arrive at uh, Messier 13 uh, around the year 27,000. Oh. So
0: uh, we'll be dead. Yeah, speak for yourself. <laughs>
1: um, well, you look that up, I'll give you two other things. These ones had dates unknown on Wikipedia, so I don't know when they happened, but they happened this year. Uh, Rubik's Cube invented? Oh, really? D&D
0: published. Oh, D&D, which... <laughs> Should, should, do, do we pull the, the, the curtain beyond our, our personal lives that you and I are now in a and d group? Well,
1: uh, that's why it was important to us. I don't know if the listener cares about D&D, but uh, for for the last two weeks, Jordan and I have cared and probably for two more and then we'll get over it.
0: Um, hey, let me jump in real quick. One of Gould's performances of the prelude in Fugue in C Major by Bach was included on the NASA Voyager golden record and it was placed on a spacecraft on Voyager 1. That was... Oh, so that's Voyager 1. Voyager 1.
1: Or Vigor, if you will.
0: Feature, yeah. yeah yeah nice if you will uh
1: Star Trek won me well that's pretty good though
0: that's I, a I was the wrong message but I got I, I I know something about piano music in space <laughs> <laughs> um all right
1: before I finish this off though you want you want to see who uh who was born during the run of Planet of the Apes
0: I hope it's a supermodel like last time because this one I might actually know
1: it's it's not a supermodel unfortunately it's Jimmy Fallon
0: okay it's Joaquin Phoenix
1: oh they're the same age it's Nelly
0: mm-hmm. and Leo, Leo DiCaprio It's odd when you when you see people. I would never think that group of people are all the same age.
1: You know, you never think those were all Planet of the Apes babies, but they are. Yeah, Uh, and guess who
0: died? Um, hold on, 1974. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna guess. I'm only picking big names. Okay, hold on, 19. Give give me a hint. Like, is it a movie star? Is it a TV star? It's a TV star. TV star died in 1974. I'm gonna give you another hint if you need it, but yeah, give me one more.
1: It's gonna be really on the nose though.
0: Uh, let me just guess right. I, I'm going to guess We'll cut most of this out <laughs> I'm going to guess uh, Jackie Gleason I think he died way after that
1: Oh, you're close though uh, I don't know if you're close but To me, you're close uh, A really
0: big show <laughs> That's, your that? That's your hint That's your hint I don't know who that D- is Ed Sullivan Oh, that was Ed Sullivan? No, you're know. right That was Ed Sullivan
1: He died in 1974,
0: 1974? Huh? During Planet of the Apes? <laughs> during, during the During a, the frog Ring
1: of Planet of the Apes Absolutely All right Well, we obviously have a lot to say. So maybe we should just get into these. We we've we've we started the episodes and we've talked about it a surprising amount actually. Yeah,
0: and let me just say, I apologies to Jackie Gleason. He died in 1987.
1: Oh man, he li- he lived a long life. 71.
0: For a, for a large man.
1: Yeah, I guess it's not as long a life as I would have hoped. But... Remember
0: his uh, his joke was about how he was like going to smack his wife? That was the joke at the time.
1: <laughs> well, just like when Mikey wanted that shot last week. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. When, when, when how does time work? Yeah. All right. Here's the IMDb summary for episode one, Escape from Tomorrow. Two astronauts survive a crash landing on a planet where intelligent apes rule over humans. The men find their own intelligent chal- intelligence challenges the apes' superiority and puts their lives in danger. That was uh, courtesy of J. Spernlin.
0: Hmm. J- uh, J-A-Y or J period? J period. All right. Well, we don't know the gender of J. Um, not that it matters, but uh, I have to start with one thing: that the opening credits for this, absolutely, you go right into them. They're great. They're fantastic. Not only are they great, but I'm going to mention something that goes through all the show. I think the music in the show is top notch. It's almost like film score quality.
1: When it kicks off, the the start of these these opening credits, it's such tense music with like the shots of astronauts, like crash landing mm-hmm. in a ship and there's like a time counter going with the ship's time which is uh, i wrote it down august 19th 1980 but yeah it's the, a little um, bit in the future but the like earth time is is like spinning up forward into mm-hmm. the future it, i guess like what is it like relativistic? how do you say that relativistic time travel like, yeah that's it you're going through space and hold on hold changing? on this is for jane sounds about right sounds about right <laughs> take a shot jane <laughs> um <laughs> um did, did you, uh, I paused it to see what the last date on the Earth time was. No,
0: what was it? I didn't get it.
1: It was June 14th, 3085.
0: That's quite a bit in the future they've got. a little bit in the future. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, great opening. We kind of start off with the ship crashing. It's a little off camera, but there's like a huge crash sound. And they have a great ship that they built to crash oh, the ground. I was
0: going to say, I really liked, you know what, The here's what I thought the ship design looked like. It looked like the nib on a fountain pen.
1: Oh, that's a very so? good, yeah, that's a great description. And it,
0: it looked really good. Like, I mean, look, we're, we're talking quality into this time period, right? Like, if you saw yeah. this now, you go, oh, okay. But I thought for, night compared to the other things we've watched in this time, I was like, it looks great.
1: 1974 on a science fiction television series, this, like, triangular ship, they've even, like, sort of tore out or at least matte painted, like, a, a crash landing zone. So you can kind of see mm-hmm. where it tore through the forest on this way here. Like, it's a nice setup for this ship crash.
0: And I should say, uh, I did... We'll have to maybe correct this if I'm wrong. But what I read was that every episode of the show cost $250,000 in 1970 time. Wow. So it was a big budget. Wow. They really went for it on this. Yeah.
1: I mean, it shows. the uh, Who finds this ship after it crashes? This little ape kid. And yeah. uh, this old man named Faro. Who uh, who do you think should have played Faro?
0: I know. You know what my first pick actually was? was Brent Spiner. <laughs> <laughs> who would you think? I thought it should have been Walter Matthau. <laughs> oh, oh, no. That's much better. That's he, much better. He
1: had a real, like, Walter Matthau voice. He was like, that real deep, gravelly I just voice. thought
0: he looked a little bit like Brent Spiner in Independence Day. That's why. That's, I...
1: It's true. He didn't exactly look like Walter Matthau. He just had a Walter Matthau voice.
0: But but you bring up an interesting point. What was the little monkey kid's name? I don't know. I never, we never learned his name. It does have one issue that I think will be, obviously, running through the entire show, which is all of the actors have problems with the prosthetics that they have to wear. They're, they don't give them a lot of mobility, although I have to say Roddy McDowell really sells it and is by far the best of the apes. He's he's he, he does a lot of like his face is twitching and he's and he's making little mannerisms and I was like, oh he's he's selling the not very good prosthetics that almost don't move at all when they talk.
1: It's tough. It's tough. Like these are the same costumes they put used in the movies. Yeah. I think in the T V scale they probably had less time to properly apply them. I, I think overall though they're still like relatively effective. Like this ape kid looks pretty good. Yeah. And I, I won't go into all of them as we go, but like I was looking at some of the actors playing some of the ape characters in this, quite a few of them were actors in other ape movies. Hmm. So they've at least brought in people who know how to work within that prosthetic a little right. bit already. And I mean, obviously, no one like Roddy McDowell. We'll get to him soon, but like he's just like crushing this role. Yeah. Considering this is what it's like fourth or fifth time doing an apes. Well, thing. we'll
0: have to talk about that more because it that's it's odd to me that he's apparently you need to have him in every movie of Planet of the Apes and everything, but he plays a different ape every time. I mean,
1: you can do whatever you want.
0: I guess. The
1: kid who finds the little space, this ape kid who finds a spaceship, he runs off to report it and the old man sticks around and sort of like pokes around the ship and finds a button that's flashing and he pushes it. And we
0: should say, like, he's basically, you get the idea very early on that he's probably not the most intelligent man. He's sort of living like a, kind of like a peasant. Yeah. or or, or a hermit of some sort. Yeah. Like, you get the sense that he's not, uh, I don't know, he's not a wild guy at a party
1: no <laughs> he's quite elderly yeah he uh he's living out there in the bush um but when he gets inside the spaceship he finds two of the three astronauts alive alan verdun the blonde one yeah and pete burke the brown-haired one it's so funny
0: that i knew it was pete because uh, alan always says it but i did not know what alan's name is because i i just didn't i missed it the first time and he they never say his name like for episodes
1: and i mean these will obviously be our two human characters we're going to follow through what I found very funny is like a blonde and a brown haired guy who are right now could be interchangeable. This is just Galactic 1980.
0: Although these guys are much better. Oh,
1: these these actors are selling this much better than anyone else's. It's crazy. Or like they were on Galactic 80. Like they yeah. have pathos in this show. Yeah, I agree. Um, the old man sort of rescues the two astronauts before the apes arrive to like get to the ship and he like hauls them back to like his bomb shelter.
0: Do you remember how he opened the ship?
1: Well, yeah, there's a flashing button. Just
0: like, yeah, I, I love that. I was like, yeah, that would make sense.
1: Yeah, just flashing on the side of the thing. He's like, oh, it's this. Yeah. And it opens up. In the interior of the ship looks great. It's like all I agree. bells and whistles and like yeah. spinning flickers and stuff. Yeah, it looked great. I like that he goes around and he tests to see if they're alive by putting his hand on their chests to see if their hearts are beating.
0: Well, I didn't understand. So he you just mentioned he pulls them both out of safety. You only really see, I think, him pull one of them. And you're yeah. just supposed to Im- imply that he's done it twice. But I was like, they but they, they show that he pulled them a long way.
1: Yeah, he. I think what you're supposed to get the sense of. I wasn't sure either. I was like, did he only rescue one? Did he rescue two? But I guess the apes took a while for Kid Ape to get back to town, come back, and then to arrive with the apes to find them. Kid Ape. Kid Ape. I was gonna say actually, because Kid Ape goes back to the town to kind of tell them about this crash, and he talks to uh, this uh, ape in an eye patch, who's the prefect of the human settlement there, Chelo. That's the name. Of the settlement. <laughs> Is that what it was? That's the settlement. Chelo. Um, I really like that ape prefect because I guess basically there's an ape prefect to look after all these little humans, human enclaves where they're little. I don't know if they're slaves or they're just they're sort like of ag- serfs. Well, they're agrarian sort yeah. of. Um, but I really like this guy had a one big eye patch on. And he was yeah. just, like going for it. Um, he's actually, what he says. He's like, "Hey, we got to tell all the humans in the settlement that there's two insane humans on the loose right now. And if they see them, they got to tell us because we can't let them know that there's humans out there who like." have this kind of technology
0: and that seems to be a running theme not only through this episode the next episode and i'm gonna assume throughout the series and correct me if i'm wrong i'm guessing that probably goes through all the the film movies as well but this idea that if humans had a higher self-esteem or self-worth in this world they might actually rise up so the idea is to not even so much physically keep them down but uh, uh emotionally mentally keep them down yeah
1: i guess to keep them from like rising to their intellectual potential right yeah i think that it seems to be a general case of what we're seeing in these episodes anyway um the prefect actually sends a a message by horseback to central city to kind of let them know like hey something's going on here you better send some people out um we'll pop we'll pop back the astronauts here are kind of waking up in this bomb shelter home that viral lives in and uh we kind of get a little sense of what happened to them they were in an accident in their spaceship while, atta- while approaching Alpha Centauri.
0: And they ran into some turbulence.
1: They ran into some radioactive turbulence. I-, I had to look it up. Do you know how far Alpha Centauri is from Earth? And how far? It's 4.367 light years.
0: Oh, that's far. That's pretty far.
1: So they have you know, advanced.
0: It was pretty good, though. In 1980, they were able to do that. Yeah. They were
1: pretty. They've they figured on the show, in six years, we'd get pretty far. Mm-hmm. Um, and while they hit that uh, turbulence, they activated an automated homing device which is uh, what they'll come to learn is how they ended up back on earth. Right. Though we'd go through a small period here where there's like, they're like, are we on earth? Or are we on a strand on an alien planet? They're pretty accepting of either. Actually, like they seem to very quickly be like, well, this is just where we are now.
0: Well, it happened pretty quick. I mean, they wake up in this cave mm-hmm. and uh, old uh, uh, Walter Matho comes far. Oh yeah. He comes back and they, and they, you know, it's like, Oh, we're going to talk. I mean, he's like, no. And they get a sense just having conversation with him that, Something's not right, yeah. but almost immediately they're just like, "Well, let's just go outside." Well, he's like, "Don't go
1: outside; the apes will get you." And he, they're just like, "The apes, yeah, yeah, right, old man." And it's like
0: immediately they get attacked.
1: Yeah, so apes immediately right up on them and start shooting at them. It's and the guy great. does a
0: great line reading there, right? Yeah, absolutely. He, I don't even know the exact line. Oh, he said, "He they, like they come out and they get shot and they hide and then blah blah blah." The guys are chasing them, and he just like not right to camera, but he's just with as much emotion as possible, like he's delivering like final lines in Hamlet. He's like what kind of planet is this? And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's great. It was great.
1: And some great line readings
0: for sure. But yeah, they
1: kind of start pie- piecing it together now because they'll talk to Pharaoh some more and he'll show them a book with, He's like, I found these st- old storybooks. They're they're from a future, the past, or something. And yeah. like, they start flipping through a picture book, and they see like, what is it hold on? I wrote it down? Like, twenty five
0: hundred, wasn't it? Yeah, am-
1: New York in like twenty five hundred or something. There's like a photo mm-hmm. of it in the future, and so they kind of very easily piece together like, hey, we've crash landed on a future Earth. Now let me
0: ask you, I got one weird question. Through this, and obviously in the next episode, you'll start seeing the house structures that the apes are living in, and I guess also the humans are kind of living in. Are they supposed to be simply carved into caves or are they actually built that way? Because sometimes it seems like caves and sometimes it seems like they've just are building these round kind of I think it's kind of
1: those round, like isn't it like a New Mexican style or something, like a- adobo or something? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm probably saying that wrong, but like I feel like there's like a clay kind of house you can build Well that's what so
0: that's what you think. You think they've built those? I
1: feel like those are, are, are constructed. Okay. Because they're not necessarily in cliff faces usually.
0: But they do have that very late 60s early 70s kind of look to them oh absolutely you know everything kind of looks like yeah yeah, it all kind of looks i'm like is this just paper mache yeah it's true
1: um we'll jump ahead because they uh the message arrives in central city where counselor Zayas, previously dr Zayas from the other movies we assume Mm -hmm.
0: he's busy interviewing his new assistant (laughs) and he has my favorite haircut of all the apes because he looks like he's from the band yes (laughs) it's just this real like short bangs with long back it's just such a bad haircut someone's got to tell dr zayas to get a makeover i
1: i really like that the first scene with him is we, we're watching him just interviewing a new assistant like yeah, yeah that's it's right it's very just like busy usually so you're gonna be my assistant eh galen well what are your qualifications yeah
0: yeah there's no there's no monkeying about
1: there's no monkeying about and galen of course is uh, roddy mcdowell in this role and uh, mm. the new role in this apes franchise for him um they're sort of having this conversation about how he's going to be as Zayas' assistant when um, the message arrives that a spaceship has crashed off in this little town of Chelo. And uh, Zayas starts talking about how like this is kind of his reoccurring nightmare that he's had to deal with this before about ten years ago. Another astronaut uh, crashed on on the mm-hmm. planet, which I assume is reference to Heston,
0: right? That's what I have assumed. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Charles Heston. I've got. It's got to be him from the first movie. But how, how great is it as uh, he's talking and there's like a big gorilla military ape who's there who's a name I forgot written down somewhere but he's just like they're talking about it and Stasis uh, is like what were that what was that man called who crashed here and yeah. they cut and they cut to the girl who's just like I think I remember astronaut
0: it's that great uh, I don't even know if it's a trope but it's just that thing where you have to have one of the characters no word but they. They have to pronounce it in a really odd way for some reason, even though they can say everything else fine. Right, right. They just put the spaces in the wrong yeah. parts. Uh,
1: but essentially, basically, Zayas is sort of freaked out like more travelers from the past coming to the future really jeopardizes their society. So he sends Galen along with this military gorilla to. Uh, the, oh, here's his name. The military gorilla's name is Urko. Oh, Urko. A good name. Uh, to head off to this little village to, you know, look into what's going on. Now that they're on their way, the, uh, the astronauts are kind of trying to come up with a plan because you know they want to go back to the ship and sort of see what they can find from the crash and uh, they take some convincing but faro's like sure let's go back um and they want to check out they've got like a flight recorder on it like a little silver disc they want to look at and it it sort of indicates here we'll actually see the date they crashed. and it was march 21st 30 85 Mm. a little different than the uh, top of the show but maybe it's because it goes farther into the future
0: yeah maybe um
1: but while they're kind of like going through the ship Farrow like distracts one of the apes so they can get inside and try to like get the things they need out of it, but immediately sort of Galen and this Urko character show up and shoot Faro dead.
0: And he and they and they're not terribly sympathetic to him.
1: The apes the apes yeah. care less. Yeah. Uh, like they're like, can you please check on our friend? And and uh, Roddy McDowell's doing great. He's like looking at them like so confused. He's like, oh, uh, sure, I'll check on your shot friend. He's like. He's dead. Yeah, yeah, He's very dead. Yeah, it was a pretty good re- line reading. It was, it was really good, and it was the first sign for me that Roddy McDowell was going to be like so watchable in this because yeah. he really plays that so. That's well. that's
0: a good way of saying it. He is really, really watchable. Like from the first scene, you're like, I want to watch that ape. And it's so grateful mm-hmm. to know it's like, oh, we're going to. Yeah, um, let me mention one thing. D- did you not laugh when they cut to the two guys in the cave and they? seemingly we were just naked under their under the blankets oh yeah and he was like why are we seeing like wh- what it looked like was they just had just had sex they're like well we're at this planet you know rules are no more rules here and then it's just like and i think it's just a lot of like these are masculine men we're going to show you how beefcakey they are
1: i mean they look pretty good they're they're beefcakey guys yeah they're uh they're you want to see that physique that's what we're tuning in for mm-hmm. <laughs> um essentially though what happens is because they're caught at the spaceship and pharaoh gets killed they're they're arrested and sort of dragged off they're going to be taken them to the high council to kind of i don't know be put on trial or something but uh well galen's kind of looking at the dead body of pharaoh pharaoh's brought his his picture book with him mm-hmm. on this thing which was very funny because when we cut back from commercial break and there, we're seeing pharaoh and the astronauts head off to the spaceship like there's just a cut in the lines like hey pharaoh why'd you bring that book with you i was like well, i don't know just thought i would
0: yeah because like, it's a plot point that's why
1: uh it was it felt like someone was like we gotta we gotta explain why he took this book with him because he's been hiding it for years and he's never that little of his yeah. before but it, it is basically there so galen can find it he kind of becomes fascinated by the the implication of all these human achievements and like even as he's slipping through there's even a photo of like an ape in a cage that is like very disturbing yeah to that him.
0: was my question though what kind of book was it because at first, it seems like it's just a book on architecture or, I don't know, skyscapes, sky city, you know, the I don't know, whatever it is. I think I know. Or architecture. But then it's like, here's a building. Here's an ape in a, a cage. <laughs> and I was like, this just seems like a perfect book to point out uh, the problems of humanity.
1: I think this is just like a Time Life 2503. Like, oh, that's what year, it is? Year,
0: year in history sort of thing. Year in review? Yeah, year in review.
1: That, that's what I think it is. Uh, at any rate, and he kind of like, he starts asking the astronaut prisoners some questions and, like, getting to know them. But, like, he doesn't like their answers. Like, basically, their answers refute his, like, understanding of the world and kind of gets a little upset with them. But he's still quite drawn to them. There's this whole, like, back and forth mm-hmm. between them, uh, these prisoners of theirs. But we kind of get this courtroom scene with the High Council and Dr. Zayas, And it's—the humans are basically arguing that they're equals to the apes in this scene. Yeah, It's a weird—it's not a bad scene, but it's, like, you know, this is a pilot. So I think it feels like a lot of the perfunctory— It, it,
0: did, it did feel like it was a little too early to have this scene— in in the series but it was like it was like yes we're gonna get everything in here and they're they're gonna make the argument that humans are great and you guys are sort of fascist the way you're running things right or or
1: we should at least be equals like yeah um it's funny the humans do tend to take the position of like we're not trying to kick you out we're just like I think you should accept that we are equals at least though yes
0: these uh the two leads are both fairly enlightened especially compared to some of the other 70s leads we've seen you're a great looking chick
1: remember that yeah yeah Um, it's true uh
0: i have to say the one guy uh hank who's the brown haired guy uh that'd be pete pete he's so negative isn't he really negative like constantly well
1: pete's like he's just like ah we're here now alan's just like i'd love to get back to my family one day and pete's like ah don't bother it. just yeah. get used to it well that's
0: what it is yeah he's, the whole time alan's like we need to fix things we want to try to get home blah 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 like constantly and pete's what's the point i'm like man pete you're a real downer pete's just happy wherever he is yeah he's like no this is fine he's got a deep v now i
1: could i can live with i can live with this uh what i kind of like about this council scene though is basically counselor Zayas wants to keep them around He like they kind of have like old human technology like these little grenades that when someone throws it in the in the courtroom to show that it explodes. wasn't that
0: weird though that he just has that like on his shelf that'd be like right now in this room i just have like live grenades on my shelf i'm like well they're from world war ii so but the thing i like is, them
1: they are definitely people who do have that i guess it just seems insane doesn't it oh well it's definitely insane it's not a not a safe thing to do right okay well um,
0: sorry people who have live grenades in their house
1: i feel like there's just someone who's like this is a grenade from my grandfather got in world war ii and it just he doesn't know if it's all live and i just sitting on a shelf somewhere yeah
0: anyways they yes they have them and they are able to show the, the point of showing the bomb is the sort of destruction that humans, humans can bring, cause yeah
1: and zeus's argument is like we need to keep them around we need to learn from them at least before we kill them because we need to know what they know like we don't have their technology and he's obviously experienced this before what i kind of like though is the other counselors are just like we just got to kill them and they're even kind of like a little conniving about it like they don't want to like they see the description of the grenade, they're like we can't let them live and even sort of this post-trial they're taking them back to their cages and one of the ape counselors kind of like game of thrones it and takes the guard to the side and he's just like hey kill them if they try to escape and make sure they try to escape yeah like this is just not like let's let's like kill them if they try to escape I like, thought
0: that was pretty good I thought that was I I like the writing of that that there was there was this layers be- beneath things it's it's not just that they all believe humans are less than them they know there's evidence out there that disagrees with their popular opinion and so they're just trying to suppress it which i thought was a much more interesting yeah uh, way of way of going about things well
1: that's it they want to suppress it Zayas doesn't like it but he wants to take advantage of it like there there are there are viewpoints and layers even Mm -hmm. amongst these nameless apes on a council like we're seeing different layers which is kind of cool for i I think like we said earlier a 74 show which we we, uh, at this point we assumed were all black and white yeah not like as far as color goes but like Morality.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, and and can I can I mention one thing here, Luke? And I, I'm gonna yeah, keep go taking us off track. I don't know if this is a thing, but I I sort of noticed, and it's it's not a positive thing. But does it not seem like all of the apes that are a little bit more open minded and are a little bit more less warrior like are light skinned apes, and all of the very militaristic ones were dark skinned ape? Am I am I not wrong? You're not wrong.
1: Uh, this actually comes up. I'll bring it up now, but it comes in the next episode. One of the like. Because there are apes, which are kind of the fair, like are the blonder or fairer skinned or longer haired ones. They look
0: more like chimpanzees. The other ones look a little bit more like gorillas.
1: And in the next episode, an ape will refer to one of the darker ones as a gorilla. Right. And he will even say, "Gorillas aren't great company. They don't care much for culture and art." Right. So they are even. I think that we're even seeing like factions within the ape society of like.
0: But is there some sort of maybe unseemly race, uh, race comment here?
1: I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, it's not out of the question. I don't. It's it's tough to know. I mean, probably.
0: Yeah. It just was those things. You know, you're watching halfway through. and You're like, oh, I, I don't know. Like, because I'm like, I'm kind of enjoying this, but do I feel weird about that? You know?
1: Yeah. It's it's hard to know. I mean, I guess you could say the same. Like, it's like the Gorillas play more like Klingons. Right. Like, are, like are all the Klingons brown and not white? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you maybe want to break that down on a cultural studies level you're you're probably looking at like at least unconscious biases playing into choices in like color design for sure right um if if not i mean i feel like those decisions aren't conscious at least of the creators because they seem to be at least a little more they certainly are far on the liberal side of the show right for the time certainly like in the roddenberry camp for sure but you know i think what we're seeing is those unconscious biases definitely just like exist and like very like clearly to a modern day audience is like oh look at that
0: <laughs> like it just kind of sticks out but anyways we've mentioned it now so hopefully it won't become <laughs> too much of a plot point uh, going forward
1: we can we can ask kave about it yeah. tell us all about it um what a tease for next week we keep plugging this guest yeah yeah <laughs> um anyway galen goes to visit them while they're in prison that night and kind of he has a few more questions and he's like kind of gaining sympathy for them mm-hmm. and uh alan's kind of talking i was like hi, telling him like we need to get back to that ship we need to get that magnetic disc so we can get that like basically flight recorder back and he kind of they proposition galen they're like hey you get us out of here we'll take you back to the past with us how well, what do you think about that you like humans come on back to the past right um which what i liked is uh galen's just like nah that's treason like <laughs> Nah, I'm not yeah. I'm not going out of that much of a limb for you right here. Yeah, But it's kind of at this moment. He leaves, and the guard comes and delivers some food to them, which is just like a salad, and they're disgusted.
0: Yeah, they're disgusted because it's a salad. I did love that.
1: Like, they just put it down. It just looks like a bowl of salad. You know, what's
0: great is he leaves the thing and clearly closes the door, but clearly doesn't lock yeah, it. Yeah, he leaves it open. And, and Pete is throwing such a hissy fit because he's like, I'm still hungry. And then the the way he finds out that the door is unlocked, he literally goes to the door and bangs on it saying he's hungry like he's a toddler, and the door opens. <laughs> need some real meat in here. Yeah, he's like, hey, it's is salad, this is rabbit food. <laughs> but yeah, they find out the door's
1: open, and then they're like, oh, you think it's a trap? And, guys like, and I think Alan's like, absolutely. Should we still do it? They're like, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I like that. They were just like, they just yes-and that scene big time. And they're
1: like, trap? Yes. Should we go? Yes. <laughs> and Galen's kind of leaving the compound. He kind of sees the ape guard sort of setting up behind a bush, he, like clearly with his gun drawn, and basically Galen's like that's really suspicious I wonder what's happening with the prisoners and at that moment they sort of walk out of the prison and this guy like goes to take a shot at them and Galen kind of steps in and like fights the guard being like hey don't kill them blah blah blah. It's the
0: moment he sort of commits to being on the other side. Yeah
1: he tries to save them uh, altruistically but in the result of stopping this ape he accidentally or this gorilla guard he kills the gorilla. Yeah. So uh, basically now the humans run off and Galen basically Oops, looks like you're a murderer. <laughs> yeah. So they're basically like, listen, you're going to be hung for murder and treason now, Galen. And uh, Zayus does try to intervene temporarily to like mm-hmm. cause, And he's trying He's trying to tell Zaius, he's like, hey, it was all a conspiracy. They were trying to kill them anyway. Like, this isn't my fault. I tried to do the right thing. But because he had that human book on him, which is contraband, Z- Zayus is like, I can't help you. Like, yeah. you stepped too far. Like, you you had that book with you. I can't politically save you anymore. Mm-hmm. And like that's theoretically where Galen's left being put in the prison as well um, but of course our human compatriots have seeing him get drug off are uh, they're also altru- also altruistic mm-hmm. they want to pay back pay it forward they say yeah they're always saying pay it forward
0: I don't think it's this scene I think it's the earlier scene where they get um, there the two guys are um, tied up but it had one of my favorite things was they es- they escape the rope by uh, uh, just rubbing it on a rock yeah yeah classic it's just like how long would that take to work
1: a long time. You're supposed to be so wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, after the... So they've escaped. They know Galen's in prison. They decide they're going to, like... They get directions from some human to do Counselor Zayas' house. They're basically trying to to, like... I don't know if they're there to reason with him or not. When they arrive, they do find this grenade on his shelf. They find another mm. grenade on his shelf. And they kind of have a brief confrontation with him. And Galen... Or not Galen. Do- C- Counselor Zayas basically lays out why humans are an infection like why they can't be allowed to run around but basically that like you know you guys had your shot and you destroyed each other like you know yeah we don't like you but for good reason yeah he
0: makes he makes a pretty well-reasoned argument against humans
1: and he even says he's just like i had to kill the last human who came the last human from your timeline which is a good question i I don't know enough about the uh, uh chronology of this series but like i guess Heston was murdered at some point?
0: Yeah. Because at the
1: end of the first one because he's yelling. He's like, you blew it up. Mm-hmm. You blew it up, you bastards. So he's not dead then. I, I'm interested. I'm very curious. Also,
0: I guess a lot of people have that same turbulence act uh, accident going into, uh, where were they going? Alpha Centauri? Alpha Centauri. It's,
1: it's a real problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you make a left and you're supposed to go right. Oh, I just ended back on that planet. Of the Apes. Tur- Tur- Turbulence was right to three thousand and something.
1: I think we'll we'll find out some more information about that in the coming episodes. See how see how common it is.
0: I'm gonna say this now, not having watched any of the future episodes. I'm gonna guess at least one of the episodes, another human is gonna come from the past.
1: Oh, I like this prediction. Yeah. This is good. Let's we'll see if it comes true. Um getting back to Zaius, they they basically use the grenade to hold him hostage and they take him to the prison and force him to, like, demand the release of Galen. They lock Zayas in the garden in a, in a cell, and uh, they can't they can't get Galen out because uh, they can't find a key to the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, just, I only mention this because I really enjoyed this exchange of dialogue, because they've still got that grenade, and they can't get through the door. And they're banging the door, and they're like, Galen, go to the back of your cell. And he's like, why? Never mind why. That's what they yell at him. <laughs> yeah. They yell, never mind why, and then they drop a grenade. Just blow it up the door.
0: Yeah. Anyways, they blow up the door. Uh, in very, like, 1970s kind of explosion. Uh, it's, and
1: I went back and watched it again because it's kind of, it's not bad, but they definitely locked the camera off, set the explosion off, and then put another door, like, that blown up right. over there. It's not quite seamless, but, like, I'm like, that's actually not a bad yeah. plot. So pull they well. blow up
0: the door. Galen goes out with them. Um, uh, where do they run to next? They basically head back to the ship because they, right. they grab the yeah. metallic
1: disc because this is going to be a, the MacGuffin of the series. Apparently, mm-hmm. It's like maybe if they can find an advanced enough human society who still exists on Earth, they can get them to read this disc and Alan and Pete can find a way to go home. Right.
0: Like, it, it is, to be fair, it's a very tenuous plan to get home because Pete, as I said, is a real downer. And I don't know if it's this episode or the next episode, but he points out, he's like, so not only does this disc have to work, we need to find an advanced people who can read it also have built a computer which we don't have in this world then hoping that what the information is is something that would help us then that we can build a ship that using that information and we can still then using all those together to get home and it's like it's never going to happen so while i find him a downer i was like you're all right pete
1: well i don't i don't mind pete I, I feel like he's just doing it to keep alan happy he just feels bad for alan yeah he misses his kids
0: yeah poor alan
1: um, one thing i did like is they grab that and they kind of take off and it kind of sets up the idea that these two astronauts and galen are going to be like You know, they're the fugitive. They're the fugitive now in Planet of the Apes. Um, But the apes ride up right after they're leaving, and they, like, destroy the spaceship to cover it it up. And I was just like, guys, you want that human technology? Reverse-engineered, baby. Don't blow up that ship. Yeah. Oh, that's why you're never going to get ahead, apes.
0: Yeah, apes. Well, and they really did tear it apart. There was wires everywhere. Yeah, they they messed it 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 up. It literally looked like apes had got in there. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Very good all right let's let's move on to episode two yeah what was the pl- what was the uh, title to number two because the uh first one had a great title
1: here we go summary for episode two the gladiators oh yeah
0: that's right yeah in your time did all humans feel this way about killing it depended on the war there were some who wouldn't kill for any reason pacifists
1: they figured human life was just too special.
0: Do you understand this? Well, I never understood the need to kill. It's a thing for humans.
1: Burke and Verdun are faced with having to fight to the death when captured, and the ape prefect amuses himself by staging gladiatory-style fights between the humans in his charge. This was courtesy of Ape van
0: oh <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't have a number just well, a fan wasn't a fan number number 13 or something he got there first he got there first um th- the something we we find out right off in this uh, episode is that this show is going to be somewhat serialized yeah yeah that this takes place pretty much directly after the last episode and the thread is that this is now the, the trio. This is the team that are going to go from adventure to venture.
1: Yeah, we sort of start off briefly in Central City. Um, that guerrilla Urca, who is uh, with Zaius, the sort of military leader, is kind of like his right hand, uh, who would rather kill the humans than, like, study them. He's looking at a huge map of basically the western side of the United States. Like, it's California, mm-hmm. probably a little BC, a little bit of Mexico in there. But nothing sort of east of that and nothing further west across the ocean. But they're sort of, like, basically tracking down potential villages they could be at and he's he's sending out one of his ape underlings to track them down did you catch the name of this ap sending out
0: no but i tell you what i did catch is the name of the fruit they eat well, <laughs> if that's worth anything we're, we're
1: coming soon but uh i only note this ape because uh he's like all right you need to go out there jason and track them down <laughs> no they didn't <laughs> his yeah. name was
0: jason his, the ape's name was jason so you got you got zayas ergo uh, ergo Galen and, and Jason <laughs> just me Jason Jason the name that everyone every time I go into a new office uh, someone calls me Jason and I never crack them <laughs> the name I should have had was Jason
1: that, that ape's name wasn't Jason at all
0: no no it was Jordan
1: <laughs> that ape was just your job in the future yeah anyway he, he sort of ergo tells Jason hey go track him down kill them if they try to escape and don't forget make sure they try
0: to escape like yeah.
1: this is still like very much is like Urko's trying to follow Zayas' orders, but he's also like, kill him.
0: Unrelated. What do you think the uh, uh, the uh, climate is like in the world right now? Because it seems pretty warm, but the apes are wearing a lot of clothing.
1: Yeah, it's it seems pretty temperate.
0: Because the guys, I think you noticed that the two leads are constantly sweating. On the <laughs> show, and it, like almost to the point where I'm like, did you guys add extra sweat to these guys? Because they're constantly sweating. So I'm assuming it's hot, but like those people, the poor people in those, uh, those in those suits, because they're wearing a monkey suit and like clo- and clothing, and then like armor on top of it. And I was like, oh man, it must be brutal.
1: Oh man, a hundred percent. The people in those ape suits must be sweating so much. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe they figured out a good ventilation system after five movies. <laughs> yeah, maybe. We catch up with Galen, and Alan, and Pete, and they've kind of just been wandering around. Uh, they're discussing their MacGuffin of this disc, and this is where they come across their fruit.
0: Which we didn't mention in the first episode. And I, I know I've said this before I love futuristic food. This is good and, stuff. Too. And this is good. Like, so the last step, I think this is a little bit different. In the first episode, I don't know if I caught the name of it, but it sort of looked like a papaya with like weird colored balls on top of it. Right. And this one it, I did catch. It's called an Oprah. An Oprah. And it looks a little bit like, I think they said it looks like a mango, tasted like an orange. Was that right? It
1: tastes like an orange, but has the mouthfeel of a banana.
0: Right. Which is crazy. The mouthfeel. Well, I assume they say the, fe- the what's, feel what's of the, a banana. The, what's the mouthfeel of that? They
1: say the feel of a banana, but I'm like, you must be referring to the mouthfeel of yeah. a banana.
0: But, and, and it looked pretty good, and I just I hope they just keep throwing... Crazy uh, fruit. I, I love that idea, though, that it's now thousands of years in the future from when we're living now. After some nuclear apocalypse. Of course different things would be growing, and yeah. I think that's great.
1: No, it was very cool. Like It, it kind of looks a bit like an orange, but it's got like or or yeah or they peel mango, it weirdly but it's got like weird green stripes down mm-hmm. the side or something it's it's very cool but well they're sort of out here wandering eating fruit um they stumble. <laughs> up... <laughs> that's funny <laughs> they stumble across these uh these two men and they're and they're fighting they're oh like i loved fighting it. each other and they sort of
0: the one guy has very impressive arms
1: well we'll come to learn they're like a father son but like yeah the father is huge and i don't know I had a I, I thought he should be played by Kurt Russell.
0: Oh, that's a really good casting.
1: He had a Kurt Russell face.
0: Yeah. So the the funny thing about the, what I loved about the fight is so the 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 scene is you see two humans fighting. Pete runs in. I think he's the more um uh. He's
1: old, He's younger. A little more gun ho. Yeah.
0: So he's like, I'm going to save these guys. And when he goes to the fight, he realizes no, no, they're like training. And so they both start fighting him. But his move to get into the fight is a drop kick, and and then. And then uh, Alan has to join the fight because now they're teaming up on um, on, on Pete. Port. And his move is just like like you'd see something in like professional wrestling. He just jumps like a flying bat and like hits them with his stomach. And I was like, what are these moves these guys have? But the the fight choreography is at least very interesting. Like they're doing a lot of really odd fights, and it's going to go through this this. Uh, this episode there's a lot of people flipping and stuff and i was like it's pretty good fight choreography like it's just it's It's fun yeah i mean
1: it's it's long shots of it long yeah they're really they're really doing the the stunts it's it's not bad yeah and it's funny i guess i guess that's it is what happened what i i I was when i was watching i'm just like oh pete's running in there i guess to stop them And now he's fighting one of them and now alan's running in to fight them too like i'm like you guys like there was a million other solutions before run in and fight these two men who you see fighting on the side of the road but anyway, I, it's just so Alan can drop his disc.
0: Classic astronauts. Astronaut.
1: <laughs> uh, well, he should have not have dropped his little. Oh, well disc.
0: done, well done.
1: Uh, yeah, he drops his little magnetic disc, and they run off when an ape on a horse rides up. And this ape, he he runs the local human colony. His name is. Uh, he's the prefect. Sorry, where is his name here? I've got it written down. His name is Prefect Barlow. <laughs> He, he rides up and like they tell him, it's like, hey, these two weird humans ran out of the bushes and attacked us for no reason.
0: They come to a scene very soon after this because basically Galen starts ingratiating himself with well, this guy. It's
1: because Barlow, after the fight, Barlow finds the disc that they dropped and they right. watch Barlow right away and they're like, oh, we got to get that disc. Galen's like, hey, I'm an ape. I'll go talk to him. No problem. So we basically cut to his village and Galen goes in to kind of like win yeah. him over. And,
0: and he does a pretty good job and he starts befriending the guy. But what I liked is they just start drinking at one point. And it it was very reminiscent of the scene from Planet Earth, and I thought the sc- the scene was going to be that Galen was just going to get him drunk and then take advantage of him.
1: <laughs> well, the, it wouldn't have been hard. That ape uh, Barlow, he's so lonely. Like he he's going yeah. on and on about how lonely he is in this conversation. Yeah, he's
0: he's he, uh, G- uh, Galen knocked on the exact wrong door. Like he's just like I'll, I'll befriend this guy, and it's like man, did that guy want to befriend?
1: It is kind of like it's like the idea of if you had an elderly neighbor and you went and knocked on his door for one time, you're like, hey, how are you doing? And then he was just like. Oh, you got to come in. You got to see my (laughs) collection of metal I found. Right. (laughs) Because that's kind of what happened. Like, they're showing him around. Uh, Galen sort of gives this thing. He's like, oh, I'm like an anthropologist who's out here looking for artifacts from old civilizations. He's like, oh, well, you got to see my old artifacts. He's like, check out this golf club. But he he doesn't know what it is. He thinks thinks it's a weapon. weapon. He thinks it's a weapon. Yeah. And he, in his idea of history, he thinks this is from a past society of apes who were very good at metalworking, Mm -hmm. but, like, weren't, like, technologically advanced to survive. But they, like... In their world, they're like we've lost this ability, but we had it at some point. And Galen tries to be like, "Hey, why don't you show me that little metal disc And he's like, "Oh, this is an artifact. Look how new it is. It couldn't possibly be an
0: artifact." Yeah, there's a lot of him like trying to grab things and then getting caught and like, ooh, ooh, ooh. like holding it.
1: It's like oh, this, this one. Oh no, you don't. It. And putting it in a box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, ooh. <laughs> um but it, it's kind of a nice scene where you they get to know each other. And um Barlow talks about his theories about humans. He's just like, I like his one theory. He's like he figures barlow says if you stuck 50 humans in a room with some paint uh in about a year's time they could probably duplicate all of uh ape ma- all the ape masterpieces yeah like, like that 100 monkeys in a room yeah. kind of thing uh but we kind of get into that there's a bit of conversation about ape society and like what it's like there and what humans are like and he just can't get this artifact from him and uh All the old man seems to be doing, Barlow's just, like, using this guy who's hiding him as leverage to, like, cure his own loneliness, basically. While they're doing that, I don't know why. Maybe you can explain it to me. Instead of waiting for Galen to do what he's supposed to do, they're like, hey, while we're waiting, let's go knock that guy out and steal their horses.
0: There's no reason for it. It just sets uh, the action up, but, yeah, it basically sets them up, them getting put in prison again immediately captured like it's just like that's two episodes in a row guys like we need to keep a account of how many times these guys are going to get captured get thrown in a prison cell yeah so yeah I, I don't know why they stole horses it was so unhelpful. i think they were just like we would like
1: horses well they kind of said like well if he gets in trouble we'll need a quick getaway but it did seem like a he really stepped way over, right. over the line but we
0: get to the point where we, we start finding a little bit more about the gladiator and his son and what we basically find out is that the gladiator is training his son but sort of delaying his son having to fight in this gladiator arena because he doesn't really want him to yeah, because
1: it's fights to the death. And this is something Barlow's come up with himself is to keep his, uh, humans docile. He holds the games. He calls them.
0: And, and I wanted to mention, I was watching this like, man, how many times have I seen a gladiator fight in a, in a science fiction? And so I looked it up and this is a subtrope of the larger trope called involuntary battle to the death. Oh, and it, along with, uh, the, the various versions of this trope are blood sport, Deadly Game, Deadly Graduation, Duel to the Death, Finish Him, Forced Prize Fight, and then Gladiator Games. Yeah. <laughs> wow. There's mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of tropes in there. Yeah.
1: Um, that's pretty good, though. That's a good a definitive list. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. I don't think we've come across that trope yet. This will be the first time, I
0: think. Um, did we have, Haven't we had someone being forced to fight? Oh, I guess... No, they weren't. In to harsh fight, realm, though. in harsh realm, did anyone get forced to fight street fight or anything like that? No,
1: they w- dropped by those uh, zip file fights. That's true. But it just it, but,
0: but you've seen this before in oh, science 100%. fiction. hundred percent. Yeah. This is like. Well, this theory. is almost classic. I was gonna say classic Star Trek of like, that's uh, they're in Rome now. Well,
1: I was gonna say Planet Earth kind of had it, but they weren't forced to fight. They did have a fight sequence similar to this though. Right. Well, the two ladies fought.
0: That's true. Yeah. I guess that would be. Uh, but this um, was not forced to fight. Was that a? Was that was at a. Uh, that was a finish him. Finish him. <laughs>
1: at any rate he's sort of showing us the games in the state and the big like stone, stone arena takes place in fun fact about that arena though oh yeah uh the only remaining standing set from the original planet of the apes movies really? the original movie that was in it and they would they'd use it again in beneath the planet of the apes i guess and use it here but it was the only remaining standing set mm. from the original film what
0: i like about this scene is um you get to see uh did we ever get a name for gladiator guy I just
1: called him Dad. Yeah. I, I think we, I think we did, but I didn't. I him. love
0: that sitcom Gladiator Dad. Gladiator Dad. Um, he comes out wearing the most fur I've ever seen a human wearing.
1: Oh, it's it's great. Like, here's the thing: is he says this, you know, humans are violent by nature. I give them these fights where someone dies, and it like fulfills that bloodlust, and it keeps them more docile, and makes my community easier to run as a prefect. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "Oh, sorry, Galen, just one second. I need to, I need to get the game started." And he stands up, and he like. Wrestling MCs intros these guys, and when 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 Gladiator Dad comes out, yeah, he's like full wrestler. He's like, yeah, he's cheering the audience on. He's like, he's mm-hmm. getting them hyped up. It's great. And then the fight kicks off, and I think it's very much like wrestling. There's a lot of like, there's a, there, someone gets dropped on a knee. There's yeah. like someone gets kicked in a neck at some point.
0: Well, so what we find out is, of course. Uh, The two guys who are captioned, Alan and Pete, Mm -hmm. are now going to have to be gladiator fighters. And Pete is called, and he has to fight this. He doesn't even get to start at the bottom like you'd think. He's got to fight the big guy. He's got to
1: fight the champion, the all-time ruling champion.
0: And even though he gets baned at one point, he gets his back essentially broken like three times in a row. (laughs) Um, But there's some pretty uh, uh, pretty good fights. And also, when did the astronauts learn to fight so well?
1: Well, that's the thing. When you see gladiator dad, which you will on the social media, he's huge. Yeah. Just huge. There's no way Pete stood a chance. Yeah, the
0: guy's the guy's twice the size of him. But anyway, uh it's a fight and somehow Pete actually wins.
1: Pete, yeah, Pete gets the upper hand, kinda knocks Wrestler Dad to the ground. But won't kill him. Well that's it. As soon as he's knocked sort of Wrestler Dad out, the the crowd just starts chanting Sword, sword, yeah. sword, sword, sword and like uh prefect Barlow throws a sword into the ring. And that's, I guess, the cue to kill him.
0: Yeah. And as someone who's been to uh, local wrestling, unfortunately, um, that's very much like a local uh, uh, wrestling crowd. Yeah, just yeah. just everyone somehow knowing with the same thing to chant. Sword. sword. Yeah, <laughs> sword, sword. That's what I'm going to do next time. Sword, sword. Maybe they'll throw a sword Let's in there. Throw it. a
1: sword in there, yeah. It's not a bad idea. Uh, but yeah, Pete won't use a sword because he's an enlightened human being. He would never kill another human being. And I kind of like this too because he won't do it and he throws the sword down. And the humans in the, in the Gladiator ring they just start to riot.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of, like, your sport team in uh, whatever, the, the final, you know, it's the NBA finals or the NHL finals. They have lost, so it's like, we're burning the city down yeah that's absolutely. what
1: happens there's like this is unbelievable that you wouldn't kill this man for us for yeah. our entertainment yeah and it's kind of great because the riot breaks out galen and uh, pete kind of use that chance to escape uh jason the gorilla shows up <laughs> in the middle of it yeah and he's just like what is going on here like all these humans are rioting and um they kind of it kind of wraps up we go to a commercial break and when we come back pete and galen have snuck off they, they kind of sneak back to the dad and son's house and uh the son's taking care of the dad who's he's injured but he's more depressed
0: he's very emotionally damaged from having having lost the fight i think partially because he's embarrassed and partially just i don't know he's humiliated because he wasn't killed like
1: that was what's supposed to happen he's supposed to die in battle
0: and he has uh, you know this actor he's giving it but there's a scene where he just i think i've shown it to you luke he just sort of like looks off the camera like sad and then he just walks off stage and it is it's just a glorious piece of acting i've just you know
1: everyone is honestly doing a great job they're chewing the scenery in all the right ways yeah It's, it's so much fun but basically pete and galen show up and they're like hey we need your help alan's still in that prison we need to get him out you gotta help us and the son's just like hey my mom was a pacifist i love that you didn't kill my dad like maybe we can work something out. Like I, I like your style.
0: You get a lot of this through this episode. There's a real um, sort of light discussion on pacifism. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know where this show lands. I think it does sort of lean a little more left. It. But it, it is sort of like threaded throughout the show
1: yeah yeah i mean the idea that his mom was a pacifist but she married this gladiator and like the dad's training him to be a gladiator but even the dad seems reluctant to put him in the ring but when you know the sounds like i'm gonna you know help these guys the dad's pretty upset about it. like you know there's a whole family drama tension mm-hmm. that not super important but runs throughout the episode and they both actors do a good job with it uh prefect barlow meanwhile is just getting chewed out by uh jason yeah J- jason's just like hey They've, they've quelled this human riot, but he, but he didn't execute a single one of the humans while they quelled the riot. And he's like, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to kill the humans if they get out of line. And Galen's like, or, or not Galen, Barlow's kind of telling him, hey, no, I, I invented these games. It's a much better effective method. Like I my, mm-hmm. my the way I run things is cost effective. And Jason's kind of like, well, uh, when I get back to the city, I'm ratting you out for being soft and uh, you're going to lose yeah. all of this. But while he's sort of saying that, he's just like, oh, wait, those games you mentioned, you say you kill people in them? He's like, that gives me an idea. And he basically is just like, why don't we do another one and uh, toss old Alan in there. So at least I'll kill one of these prisoners. Yeah. Which an easier way would be to just kill the prisoner. Yeah, but but hey, we won't get a he, gladiator it's, it's, battle. It's much
0: more cinematic and dramatic this way. It's true.
1: And he, he, he can't do it on face value. It's all about subterfuge. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, leads Barla to drop by the dad's place. And he's like, tells the son, hey, you got to go out. We're going to do another fight tonight. Your dad's out of commission. So it's up to you. You got to kill your first man tonight. And uh, the son's just like, hey, no way. I, uh, I don't believe in killing people. It's not my way anymore. And basically, was like, well, that's against the law. I'm throwing you in prison with the yeah. prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> so now the dad kind of has a reason to break his son out. And as a result, Alan. So he kind of teams up with Pete. And
0: yeah. And they Taylor get a great, great sneak attack.
1: It is good. The dad comes up and like, it's kind of nice. He's, he's pleading with the apes to like give him a chance to see his son. And the apes are kind of like, like, it seems like the apes and humans in this particular enclave are closer to equal at least they have empathy for each other but he uses that empathy for uh galen and pete to jump off a roof onto their (laughs) yeah right on top
0: of them take the guys out everyone escapes
1: yeah they stage a big prison break they're running they're running out of town jason runs out with a (laughs) gorilla jason runs out with a gun and uh takes aim and ends up shooting the dad yeah of course um but the dad cannot be killed with a single bullet.
0: No, he sort of uh he sort of Samsons them and uh uh makes sure to to get in a fight with Jason and basically kills Jason and you know with his dying breath.
1: Yeah, he like kills Jason with dying breath and the guys manage to escape and basically um they're sort of left with Barlow sort of rides out after them as they're as they're sort of escaping out of the place and they kind of have this moment where like Barlow's like, Hey listen, I think I've learned something. No more games Like, I I think I agree. Like, this whole killing thing is not great. I was really worried I was going to lose my prefecture, but Jason's dead now. So I'm going to cover up this whole thing. You were never here. This never happened. Like, you're good to go. And the son doesn't go back to town. He's like, I'm going to go kind of spread the gospel of pacifism Mm -hmm. around the world and then, like, kind of. Uh, you know end of the show there are heroes sort of ride off into the sunset but it wasn't a bad ending like i like
0: I-, I did think that was one of the weaker things they basically have the villain well he's i guess he's the villain barlow he's basically like oh here's your uh, gizmo thing back yeah like why back. it's just because because they need to have back to this like lose it the next episode well
1: i didn't mind that barlow ended up being he was less a straight villain like he seemed to like humans a bit and have some respect for them but he thought he had to kill them to they like keep them in line, and he's met these other humans, and you know his mind has kind of mm-hmm. changed. I don't know. It had some shades of gray. I didn't mind. It wasn't a perfect episode by any means, but I didn't hate. I didn't hate it. And there we are. I mean, yeah, that wraps it up. Any any final thoughts on these final two episodes?
0: I think my expectations were were lower than than maybe this show deserved. And because of that, I think I'm maybe enjoying this more than, I don't know if I'm enjoying this more than it deserves or just in comparative comparison to other things, but I, I had a pretty good time watching these two episodes.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I was genuinely surprised. I mean, you know, there's some goofy effects still, like the masks aren't perfect, but overall like, and you know, this set design is a little par for the course for this kind of show. And because it's like set in like a agricultural society, it's not like a lot of stuff to see. But I think the writing is surprisingly better than I expected.
0: That's what it is. It's, I think, what it really comes down to is these scripts feel like they went through a couple drafts. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, absolutely. You know, as opposed to some of the things we've seen are just like, oh, why did it happen? I don't know. The weather. That's why. And you're like, what? And there, there's very little of that in this show.
1: The actors even seem to care a lot more. Even the ape actors. Everyone seems to be putting a lot yeah. more effort into it. Even this father-son one-off team. Mm. Like, they were both good. They were both in it. They were selling the scenes yeah. they were in. I, I was I was surprised. Um, I was pleasantly surprised.
0: Yeah. So what what are you gonna give the first episode?
1: I'm gonna give the first episode. I liked it. It's fun. It's a little perfunctory because it's a lot of like. I like that they got through it quickly. Like we didn't spend a lot of time till for them to like. Oh no, this is Earth. Like they kind of get to it yeah. pretty quickly, but there's still a lot of like setup, and it's not perfect. I don't know. I I'm I'm gonna conservatively give it a six. I think the show can do better, but it's still like an okay kickoff to it. It's just a lot of stuff we already know about Planet of the Apes.
0: Yeah. Going into it, for me, not having known as much than as you did, I'm going to give it a seven because I think I agree with you all the sort of like, yes, it's a pilot and they're, they're getting through a lot of stuff, but I was pleasantly surprised with pretty much every aspect of it. So yeah, seven.
1: Yeah. Um. What about next episode? I'm gonna Gladiators. give it. I'm gonna give
0: it the exact same, even though I I don't know in retrospect whether I'll, I'll like these the same. But I'm also gonna give a seven. I kind of felt the same about it. It had some problems, but I was like, yeah, it's a fun kind of silly episode where it's a gladiator. Now, on the surface, I don't know how great a plot it was, but I don't know. I I'm, I'm still in a good mood. We'll see if my where my scores go. I want to leave enough room for me to go up and down, but I'm gonna give this another one seven.
1: Okay. Uh, I mean, I get, I think in some ways we're going to do something very similar. I enjoyed the episode i think coming off number two into like just such a cliched gladiator episode yeah. was like that was not great like that was real run of the mill in some ways of like here's the next plot they have to fight a gladiator you know? the writing was much better than like it deserved to be like this plot was much better written than it absolutely should have been mm. but it was still a, I, I i'm gonna give it a 4.5 i think it's just wow like, i think because it's it's just a little below average. You felt
0: it was too handcuffed by the actual actual structure of the Gladiators. Yeah,
1: I felt like this was just like a like it felt like a form letter plot. They're like, now you do a Gladiator episode that someone got the assignment and like really busted his ass right to make it work, but he was still stuck in that assignment. So I, I'm going to give it a four point five. Hmm. Um, I I have I hopes, don't
0: disagree though. with you, but I'm surprised how low the score is.
1: I have hopes that I, here's the thing is I think both of these show the show can do better and i am expecting i would re- potentially I, to do better i would
0: agree with you so there we are that's the first two episodes i think that's this is the most optimistic i felt in a little while i mean man and machine man that was a real that was a real drag
1: yeah we 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 took some punches on yeah. got on that one um this one certainly feels like you know I, we'll see if it can sustain i'm hoping it can i mean right so far i think the writing shows that there's potential so yeah i mean hey, it's nice to see that at least
0: and next week i'm sure we're gonna get a lot of information.
1: Oh, yeah. We're going to get a huge information dump <laughs> with next week's guests. It's going to be great. Yeah. In the meantime, you can uh, reach out to us on email if you want to t- talk to us about Planet of the Apes. We're at ContinuumDrag at gmail.com, and we'll have, uh, you know, a bunch of videos and photos and stuff from Planet of the Apes on Instagram and Twitter at ContinuumDrag, um, but that wraps it up. So, listener, uh, thanks for joining us, and Jordan, I'll see you next week.
0: I forgot to mention one of my favorite lines, why should truth be against the law? <laughs> I was thinking, that was great. <laughs> Continuum
1: Greg is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Seidler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes, Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Jane McRae, and Stephen Packard.